0: Good morning. It is wonderful to have each of you here with us this morning. I invite you to stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Once we were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior— God, who makes yourself known both in the stillness and in the busyness of life, we sense your presence here with us now. In all we do, we lift our hearts to you, purify our thoughts, and strengthen our resolve that we will continually be aware of your reconciling presence and grace in our lives. This we pray in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. What a great word for us as we uh, begin worship today, to know that Christ is with us. We're so glad that uh, you are here today. We welcome those of you who may be here for uh, alumni family weekend at the college. Welcome those who are watching on the streaming. And uh, we hope that this is a day when we all experience the presence of God in our worship. I want to invite you to take a moment to share a word of greeting, perhaps introduce yourself to someone who may be here in worship today. I just wanted to mention uh, that uh, we are just a few weeks away from beginning our uh, eighth or ninth uh, prayer vigil that we have uh, we've done, three weeks, 24-hour-a-day prayer, and we are preparing the prayer room for this event. Our theme is to Pray Freely, and as we've been talking about freedom uh, this fall, we want to incorporate that into uh, our time of prayer as well. We're excited about uh, some of the things that we will have in the prayer room, some interactive things. Uh, there are things in there for all ages, if you haven't yet been a part of, of this prayer event in the past. I was, someone was asking me this week about the word vigil and uh, what exactly that means. And I did a little looking up, you know, dictionary.com is a good place to go. And um, it, it, it talks about having watchful attention. It's often connected to uh, being awake when you would normally be sleeping. And there's often a night vigil that people people use. And it, But it isn't limited to that, but it is this sense... Of, of a period of time in which everyone is thinking about similar things. Everyone is connected together in some way. And so in this prayer vigil, uh, while we may pray our own prayers, we are connecting our lives and our prayers with others who are with us. So you'll we, we be hearing more in the next week or so about uh, beginning sign-ups for this prayer event. And we thank you for your prayers as we get the rooms ready to, for us to gather for this time of prayer together.
0: Our Old Testament scripture reading is Psalm one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and And whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, please stand for the doxology. we thank you that you are so generous to us. All that we have is a gift from you. Help us to serve one another so that we may reflect your spirit and your goodness. Amen. You may be seated.
2: My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me, gave himself for me, and paid the heavy price for all my sins. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. For me, he died. For me, he lives. For me, And now for me he stands before the Father's throne, before the Father's throne, he shows his womb. work of love and Jesus Christ received. For me he died, for me he lives, for me he died, for me he lives, and ever
1: Because our hope is in the Lord and what he's done for us. We have confidence to come and to, to be honest with God and to know that he hears our prayers. And so I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin as we pray together. Almighty and loving God, Through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another, that again we might dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the cloak of pride and put on Christ that we might forgive and be forgiven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we continue in the spirit of prayer, you would like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers. Please come and join me. Father, we come in gratitude today. Christ died and he lives. And our lives are transformed. Father, today we we come and, and ask for your grace to be at work in us and in this world. Open our eyes, Father, to the needs of this world. Open our eyes to the struggles of our own lives. Open our eyes. Help us to see. Father, we pray that you will bring comfort and strength to all who are grieving today. in Whatever form the grief may come. We pray for your healing grace upon all struggling with health concerns. For Mildred Berry, Doris Assepian, Lance Weaver, Tammy Dunmire, Luke Heisinger, Wade Marsh, Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, Laurel Bucher, Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, for Phil Muker Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and for others who are on our minds today. Father, we pray for your grace at work in our homes, the places where we work, and all the places we go. Some of us are facing um, new things in the days ahead. It is difficult to leave what is known and comfortable. We pray that we will sense your grace As we move forward, we pray that we will sense your grace leading and guiding and giving us peace. Father, we pray for the ministries of this church, and we thank you for all the ways in which you help us to serve one another. Today, we thank you for the ministry of the Junior Church, for Andrea and Heidi who run this ministry and who work with our children. And we pray, Father, that you will help the children through this ministry to see more clearly who you are and your grace upon their lives and that their hearts would always be turned to you. We pray, Father, for churches around us. Today we pray for the First Baptist Church in Cuba and for Dennis Stack, the pastor. May this congregation be united in your grace and love that they would bear, bear witness to your love to each other and to their community and beyond. Father, we pray for our nation, so much that divides us at this time. We sense a, a, a racial divide. We sense a political divide. The class structures that are always competing with our unity, Father, we pray that you will heal the fractures in our land. And may your church, may we, sitting right here, be catalysts for hope and peace and love and healing. Father, we pray for this world I think of all who have been affected by Matthew, uh, Hurricane Matthew. I think especially the people in Haiti. Again, this, this nation of such great need has been hit with another disaster. Lord, we pray that, that the people of Haiti will sense your love to them and that your church would be evidence of your love. We pray that you would bring healing and restoration and and that you would lead people to help in restoring the damage and bringing comfort to the grieving. Lord, we ask for the miraculous, for the nation of Haiti that you love so dearly. Father, we pray for refugees. We ask that you would remedy situations that make fleeing from home even a necessity. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Turkey today. With the political turmoil in this nation, there is a lot of unrest and uncertainty. We pray that the church would continue to bear witness to who you are. That They would, they would have a spirit of love and joy and faithfulness even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Father, thank you. For the ministry of Houghton College, this special weekend, as many have come to campus, we pray, Father, Your continued blessing upon Houghton College, upon every student and staff member, administrators and faculty. We pray for uh, parents, extended family, friends, the college. Lord, we pray that Your grace would be evident in the ministry of the campus and beyond. Thank you for all the lives that have been touched through the ministry of Houghton College. And we pray that this will continue to be the case in the days and months and years and decades to come. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the strong, loving name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
0: I
2: will glory in my Redeemer, whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Mine was the... Transcription face forever to be
0: whole. Our New Testament scripture reading is Galatians 5 verses 16 through 26. So I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who walk like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness,
1: Please be seated. When you think about freedom, what image comes to mind? What does freedom look like to you? I suspect that it has something to do, somewhere in our thinking, of. Being able to do what we want to do. Having the ability to go where we want to go, say what we want to say. That is, in, in a sense, the very definition of freedom. That we are not held in bondage by anything. We don't have restrictions. We are free. I did a little searching this week about various things people have to say about freedom. And while they were across the board, the majority of what people said had to do with I'm able to do whatever I want to do. And that tends to be, in one way or another, our view of freedom. And I think, in one sense, Paul would affirm that in this letter to the Galatians. He has been talking about freedom off and on throughout this letter. I think it is one of the key threads that you see through the letter. In the first four and a half chapters, Paul is saying, You're free. You don't have to be in bondage, as as folks from some of the people from the Jerusalem church have come and said to them, uh, you have to to embrace and fulfill every element of the law, of the Old Testament law, and all the laws that we've made about the Old Testament law. If you want to be a a true believer, you have to embrace all of that first before you can become a Christian. If you don't do that, then you will always be second-class, third-class Christian. And Paul says to them, That's heresy. No. The gospel is not about obeying the law. It's about freedom in Christ. And over and over again, he keeps saying to them, you're free in Christ, you're free in Christ. And then you get to verse 13 of chapter 5, and he says, you are free in Christ. Now, be careful not to use your freedom selfishly. Be careful not to use your freedom to live selfishly. Because as we find through the rest of this section and what we read today, Paul says people who live selfishly, people who think of freedom in a selfish way, end up living their lives in such a way that what comes out of it is not good things, but sinful things. And so he says in verses 19 to 21, the acts of the sinful nature are these. And he has this whole list. And it's not exhaustive because he gets to the end, he says, and other things like that. He's trying to set the tone for them. These are the things that, are, that come from a life that thinks of freedom selfishly. And he says the, uh, the acts of the sinful nature, the desires of your sinful nature, they're obvious. Somebody who has been spending their spent their life following the law is going to look at a list like this and say, "You're right. They are obvious. Particularly the ones about sexual morality, and the ones about idolatry, and the ones about witchcraft, and the ones about drunkenness, because all of those things, even in most segments of society, have some negative connotations." What intrigues me about this list is where Paul puts the majority of his emphasis. Because the greatest number of things that Paul talks about here are relationship things. Envy, jealousy, fits of rage, divisions. Paul talks a lot about how we relate to each other. And I suspect for them and maybe for us, that's not always as obvious as some of the other sins. We often, we, you know, we categorize the sins. And so we will often say, well, these, some of these things, now that's really sin. Everybody knows that. These other things, well, you know, these, they happen. What are you going to do? No. Paul is saying, when you use your freedom selfishly, these things will come out of you. And it includes, in some sense, all of these things are ways of, of getting what we want from other people. They're ways of acting selfishly toward other people. I have freedom. I can, I can show bits of rage to you. I can be jealous of you. I can be envious of you. I can, I can put you down. I can be divisive among you and somebody else. Because I can do what I want. And Paul says, these are not things that are going to lead you to good places with God. In fact, the people who do these things don't even inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there because then he moves on and says, but let me show you what you should be doing. Let me show you what a life that is lived in the right kind of freedom looks like. And he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What's he really describing here? What he's really describing is is the nature of, of Jesus. He's really described, if you were to take a microscope and, and look at the DNA, the spiritual DNA of Jesus, this is what you would see. This is who Jesus is, and this, which means that this is who God is. And of course, if the spirit of God, if the spirit of Jesus is living in us, then this is what's going to come out of us. And you'll notice he doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit, which means it's thought, you have to think of it a little bit differently than we do the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, that is plural. And he says to various churches, you all have different gifts. Some of you have the gift of administration or teaching or encouragement or help. And, and you take the gift that God's given you and you, we bring it together and, and the church serves one another in the world. We all have these different gifts that we unite together. But here he's saying, this is not something, you don't look at it that way. It's not as though he's saying to us, okay, some of you have the fruit of gentleness, and some of you have the fruit of self control, and some of you have the fruit of of kindness, and some of you have the fruit of joy, and we're going to bring it all together. this This is who Jesus is. And in a sense, he's saying, you either bear this fruit or you don't bear this fruit. Because it is the result of the Spirit in us. It, you, can't just sep- you can't separate it out. It is, it is the nature and the character of Christ. And When I think about this list, when I think about the fact that it is fruit being produced in us, there's a part of me that feels like we are just, in a sense, sort of passive bystanders in this. The Spirit lives in us and the fruit gets produced. And there really isn't a lot we are going to do about it. We just let the fruit be produced. And there is some truth to that. I mean, that's sort of how things grow. This past spring, Cindy and I decided to try our hand at planting some stuff. We've tried this other times and it hasn't gone so well. But uh, so we decided this year we would try it again and we have some pots on the porch, big pots. And so we planted beans and tomatoes and some herbs and and I love peppers. And so, I when we we're at I think we were at Home Depot buying seeds. And so, I thought, well, oh, that looks interesting. That looks interesting. And I'm just grabbing different peppers. So, we plant them. Who would have known they came up and they grow? I mean, a lot of them. I mean, who would have guessed? I mean, I was thinking about, you know, they don't... I mean, the whole point was, well, they don't cost that much for the seeds. So, we got nothing to lose. And they actually have produced. And these peppers have just gone crazy. And what I didn't realize is how hot habanero peppers are. Wow, they are hot. After the fact, I read that they're 100 times hotter than jalapenos. I don't know how they measure that kind of thing, but there is this whole scale of the hotness of peppers. So, and actually, they've got this plant there that's probably got 30 balls of habanero peppers ready to be picked. If you like them, let me know. I will give you them. I will give them to you. You know, it's gratifying to see that stuff grow and every day we're out like, oh, there's another bud, there's another one coming on. We didn't make that grow. I didn't make that grow. I, I, I didn't have anything to do with those plants producing. On one hand. On the other hand, there would have been no plants if I hadn't have initiated it. If I hadn't have put the soil in the pot and put in the miracle grow and watered it and planted the seeds and kept track of it and pruned it and watered it some more, pulled a few weeds every so often. The reality is when you grow things like that, there is there's a combination of things going on. It is the work that we do and it's the natural processes of what God has put into the world. And any farmer worth their stuff would tell you that. And the fruit of the Spirit is the same thing. We don't produce the fruit. Our responsibility is to prepare the soil of our lives so that fruit can grow. It's the parable of Jesus tells in Luke 8 of the sower who goes out and just scatters seed arbitrarily. And some of it falls on on a path that's beaten down. And some of it falls in rocky soil. and Some of it falls among the weeds. And none of those seeds grow. They all die. But some of it falls on good soil. And that soil, Jesus says, the seeds grow into plants and they produce fruit. There's no difference in the seeds. The difference is the soil. And I think Paul is saying to us, If you want the fruit of the Spirit to come out of your life, you have to prepare and nourish and cultivate the soil of your life. I think he says to us that one of the ways we do that is that we crucify our yearning for the sinful nature. In verse 24... He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. What intrigues me about that is that he doesn't say Jesus nails our sinful desires to the cross. He says, we do that. It's a conscious choice that we make to say, even though I struggle with my sinful nature, even though I wrestle with giving into the sin, my sinful nature... Deep down in the, in the deepest recesses of my being, I really want to let go of them. He's really talking about the want to in our hearts. It is saying, I, I don't want to yearn for those things. Because I know that they lead to destruction. I know they lead me away from what God created me to be. I want to let go of them. We will spend all of our lives wrestling with letting go of various elements of our sinful nature. Until Jesus returns and he sets up his kingdom and everything is made right. But we can have victory as we go through our journey. John Wesley talked about the image of of nailing something live to a cross and cutting it off from the source of its power and watching it shrivel and die. And I think Paul is saying, do you want that to happen? Are you at a place where you, you want your freedom to not be about you? You're willing to let go. You're willing to, your desire is, your want to is to be free from those yearnings of a sinful nature. And yes, we all have, we're going we're on a journey. We all struggle. But what are we journeying toward? Are we making progress? Are we letting go? Is our yearning changing? And Paul also says in the next verse in 25, that it's not just about the negative Nailing that to the cross, but it's the positive of following the leading of the Holy Spirit in every area of life. It's not enough to say, I want to get rid of these things that are negative. It's just as important to say, I want to replace that with what is positive. I want to follow the leading of the Spirit, I want to live in openness to the Spirit. I want to live my life in such a way that I hear the Spirit when the Spirit speaks. And I respond positively when the Spirit nudges. My eyes are open to the promptings of the Spirit. And not just when I'm doing spiritual things, but every moment of life. Because God is at work in every moment of life. And the Spirit speaks to us in every moment of life. In order to have that kind of openness to God, there, I think this is where the spiritual disciplines play such a huge role. The spiritual disciplines of reading Scripture, of prayer, of corporate worship. Spiritual disciplines of generosity and service. All of the spiritual disciplines create an atmosphere in our hearts that make us more and more sensitive and open to the spirit. It's one of the reasons we keep doing these prayer vigils. Because it gives us an opportunity together to step back from all the busyness of life and and to and to pray. The first year we did the vigil, and we asked, if you're not familiar, we asked people to reserve at least one hour of time in the prayer room to pray. And most of us were thinking, what are we going to do for an hour praying? We're not used to that kind of time commitment to prayer. But almost to a person that I talked to says, man, that hour went so fast, it wasn't enough. Because there is something about stepping back, something about about taking time to listen to God, to experience God, to, to let God speak to us that is vital to creating the kind of soil in which the fruit of the Spirit can be produced. I think there is something related to this of what Paul says in verse 21 about those who who do the acts of the sinful nature and how they do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I think what Paul is, is saying, isn't he's, he's not setting down a law, he's not being judgmental, he's, he's not being a prude about things that we wrestle with. He's simply saying, when these things come out of a person's life, it's because that person has decided that their freedom is about self. And that means their life is about self. And when your life is about self, then you really don't want the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is all about God. It is all about, when we we think about the kingdom of heaven, when we think about the kingdom of God, when we think about what heaven will be, the question is not, I, I I wonder what heaven will be like and how I might have an influence on it. The question, really the statement is, heaven is God's nature. Heaven is the fulfillment of who God is, all the priorities of God, all the motivations of God. Everything that God is, that is the kingdom. And so Paul is simply saying, if you've lived your life for yourself now, why would you think you'd want to live for God for all eternity? It is people who live their lives with the desire for the, to be open to the Spirit, who live with the desire to, to crucify our, our yearning for a sinful nature to the cross. It is that kind of Spirit that says, I, despite my failings, what I want deep in my being is, is the Spirit in me. I want the DNA of Christ in me then the most natural thing in the world is that for eternity, we would experience the fullness of that. When he gets to verse 26, Paul sort of takes these two elements of crucifying and following and and puts them together and says, you know, this is really all, really a relational kind of thing I'm talking about here. Again, the majority of what he said was a sinful nature was relational. And now the fruit of the Spirit is certainly relational. And he says, you have to choose to decide how you're going to understand who you are. Do you see your value based on how you compare yourself to someone else? Or is your value based in the grace of God given to you? When when our freedom is about self, we can't help but have moments of conceit and jealousy and we're going to continually provoke each other because what's most important? Me. It's most important that people know how great I am. It's most important that I understand myself in relation to other people and they're better than me, so I'm jealous of them or they have things that I don't have and so I'm envious of them. And we keep provoking each other. But when the Spirit lives in us, we understand in deeper ways the grace of God to us. And I have yet to find someone who has a who has a, a, a good grasp of their life owing to the grace of God who is not generous and gentle and kind and faithful. Because when you understand that everything good in your life is about the grace of God, then you just want more and more of God's grace in you. It's what Paul is saying, and again, back to chapter 2, verse 20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Why? Because he loved me. And he gave himself for me. And what's fascinating is when you live... With an understanding in the spirit of God's grace. You begin to flourish. You begin to live life as you were created to live it. In all the fullness of of what God intended us to be. And we live in joy and peace. And we have life. Life. And we don't get we get bigger, and we become more fully human as God created us to be. But the opposite is also true. When you live for self, you don't get bigger; you get smaller. You become less human. Because when life is wrapped up in me, that's a pretty small existence. I've been fascinated for a while at how often trees are mentioned in Scripture. Every so often I think, I should do a series of sermons about the trees in the Bible. Maybe I'll do that sometime. But but you see trees from beginning to end. And particularly, you see, talk about fruit-bearing trees. In Genesis 1-11 and creation story... uh, the writer talks about God creating these fruit-bearing trees. And that's his desire, to create trees that bear fruit on earth. And you get to the end of it and it says, that's exactly what happened. And God says, that's good. And then you move to the middle of the scripture, in the very first psalm. The psalm that sets the tone for all the rest of the psalms. And, and the psalmist says, blessed are those who, who trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who, whose trust is God. What happens to them? They are like a tree planted by a river of water, and they bear fruit. And then you get to the very last chapter of the very last book. And John says, I looked, and before me I saw a river that ran from the throne of God. And on each side of the river was a tree of life. And that tree bore fruit and its leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations when i read that i i think one of the one of the understandings of the leaves is the church because from the beginning god has created human beings to reflect his image to be his image bearers in this world. And when we when we are filled with the Spirit, when we live in such a way that we want the Spirit's fruit to come out of us, we actually become agents of healing in this broken, hurting, pain filled world. We become what Paul writes to the Corinthians, agents of reconciliation. We become people who are light in darkness and hope in despair because our hearts have been opened to the one who is the great healer. I mean, in essence, what he's really saying here is the true freedom is trusting our freedom to the control of the Holy Spirit. That's how we become agents of healing. That's how we become means of answering our own prayer that the kingdom of heaven would come on earth as it is in heaven. That we trust our freedom to the control of the Holy Spirit. Because we know who the Spirit of God is. And we know what His designs are for our lives. And so maybe maybe the question that we ought to be asking ourselves is not so much are you bearing fruit? But Maybe a better question would be what kind of fruit are we bearing? When people see the fruit in our lives, whose image do they see? Father, thank you for your desires for us for life and fruit and flourishing give us grace father to to be people who want what you want that we might experience what you desire for us we ask this through jesus amen